keep making speakers. Somebody, somebody goes, you know, sometimes the audio is kind of sounds like you're on a phone or speakerphone or driving a car. I'm like, I totally am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that, that's exactly like, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, well, but the, but the audio quality is not awesome. I was like, could you tell what I was saying? They're like, oh, yeah, you could just, like, it sounds like you're on a phone. or I'm like, all right, but Pe- it's, it's People content. are freaking weird about uh, audio. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I'm like, dude, you know, I identify with skateboarding videos and, and, uh, I don't think I'll ever change (laughs) just the raw uncut. Um, I hate editing. I, I, I loathe it. So (laughs) that's why I let Chad do it. Yeah. Content. Let is a strong word. I make sure he does it because I didn't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. I bet he did. I bet. I bet what it is is he doesn't let you edit. Well, dude, the, the advantage is Chad ran like his musician stuff and his bands for so oh, long. Yeah. He has all of the stuff down to where, dude, he gets all the stuff in. He remembers where certain things have to be edited yeah. out. Like, yeah, he's. We've done six episodes, and he'll call me. It's like, all right, I'm going to start editing. Twenty five, thirty minutes later, they're all done because he runs them through the same filters all the time and. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I've had it to learn how to do all that, and it's, but and then and because I mean there was some a few huge learning curve for me, but then once I figured it out, it's not that bad. You just got to figure out your application, and it's I don't know, it's something else. I just I don't hate, edit. Well, see, that's one thing. I, I guess I I only edit audio quality, and I just figure if I don't like the episode, I'm not putting it up. If I have to start going in there and finding things that I don't want put up and all that stuff. Yeah. Dude, the more well, that's the not fair. we did for, for audio quality, we only, because we only record in the car whenever we can, it's always his or mine. He actually has two sets of predefined filters that he all automatically runs against each of those. And then he'll yeah. go in after he runs those um, and then boost like signal or just, you know, fast forward and skip a bunch. And usually it's like three to five minutes. It's he's smart. Do you have the software that he uses or no? He uses GarageBand. Yeah. He told me. Well, I, I use Garage Audacity. Band. Okay. Which I can, I can do that. Like do a predefined and a predefined filter, but I'm like, I just know what to do. And, and I, most of the time I'm right here in the garage, so I don't have to like cut it, cut out road noise and all that stuff. But then, yep. and then figuring out how to do that. Mics was the biggest thing for me. Once I figured out how to get the right mics, then, it, then a lot of the bad stuff went away. And then I could just edit, just like edit all the background stuff out, do that. He, he must have a, I, yeah, I know, I know, I know a little bit of about what he must have. Cause, but I just go in there and just edit it from the raw and it don't take that long now, but it freaking took me hours in the beginning. Yep. Now I'm fast. Now you're Morgan. All right, you guys, let's, let's go. We'll, we'll, um, every time I talk to Morgan, like I, I start like talking shit and like challenging him to bets and stuff. So I got to kind of like, try not to do that. Um, I get, I get so much shit talking about PRS. You know, I talk about shoot. I feel like I talk about shooting, but when I mention PRS, I get hate messages like crazy, like, well, the standards are here or this or something or other. And they say, 
you know, who the hell do you think you are? You better come to these matches and shoot, get your own score and show us, you know, this. And, you know, who the, you know, who the fuck do you think you are? And, you know, uh, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, guys, chill out. Like, this is this is pretty cool. Like, I, I, I like speaking generalities. And if I want to talk like anything like that, I'll just bring you guys on. So um, I, I definitely have no problem, like, saying – I can do something and then going out and doing it. And, but I, but I think that um, the motivation for the series now about standards is people that haven't been to these matches and um, a level of expectation. So uh, just, just to clarify that, that even more, like I talked to um, Eric Cortina and I was like, you know, for, for a good F class shooter, what are your standards? You know? And he's like, one him away. But for a winner, you really want to be able to get most of your shots in the half MOA because that's how a lot of match placements are determined. He said, you know, you'll get maybe a dozen, maybe more people to get perfect scores. And then the placement actually comes down to how many people get in the X ring, which is a half MOA at a thousand yards. I'm like, right, that's fucking good to know, right? So every little discipline yeah. has has standards. And, and I feel like um, you probably can't say that universally for for prs you know because you i've never shot out east um but i've heard the same things that everybody's heard that that some sometimes you guys say like well the targets are smaller you know out east because the wind is less variable or you know so, so that the level of difficulty is consistent you have to adjust to the to the terrain but but because you guys have shot so many matches i thought it would be cool just to hear it from the horse's mouth and not Mm-hmm. Not standards of like, you know, I want to be 50th percentile, like standards for the good shooters. What are the standards that good shooters are accomplishing today? Because the other thing that you hear a lot about, you know, especially out here is when there were more leagues and more styles, but it was all kind of the same is, you know, if you could shoot 70%, you'd win a match. And I, that's not the case anymore. And the standards go up every year because people are getting better. So where like, 2023 what are the standards for let, let's just say top 10 percent at a match um because I, I think that's that's good like you know if if, if your goal is to be a top 10 percent shooter at a prs you know across the board what are some standards that you have to be mindful of that are more or less universal and not just, you know, one, one thing. All right. Um, are you talking, so just for clarification, are you talking like training standards or are you talking like, Hey, I should be comfortable with this. I think objective standards. Like if you can do this, you'll most likely be top 10%. Oh, Ooh, I that's you. a tough one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But there's, a, there's a lot there. Maybe let's start with just some generals on PRS. Cause I think Morgan, we'd both agree that there are some, target sizes and general stage constraints and some, so let's call it conditions of PRS that change why we're putting these quote standards in place. Like for instance, set the stage PRS is generally a one and a half to two and a half MOA target size. Most of the time, there's some other matches that are a little smaller, 90 seconds to 120 seconds for a given stage, usually 10 to 20 stages, 10 for a one day, 20 for a two day, they're known distance. There's multiple distances generally on each stage. Um, 
And then from that, you have all the standards that we actually have to achieve to be successful in those conditions. So um, one that comes to mind for me right away is you have to maintain an 85 to 95% hit rate across the course of fire to have a chance at being in the top, let's call it top 10 out of 200 shooters. Depends on where you're at. But yeah. yeah, I mean, East Coast, it's definitely in the 85 to 95% range. Out west, East Coast, it's 90 to 95. Yeah. And West Coast, it's it's uh, 80, 82 to 92, probably. Yeah. So they're similar, but you depending guys. On, but tending, depending on the match, there's just so much more variability in the conditions. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, like now, uh, it used to be to where average target size was was smaller on the East Coast. Um, and due to matches, like right now, matches are getting tougher and, and shooters at the same time are getting better. The problem is over the last, I would say, four years, shooters have got better faster than matches have gotten tougher. Yeah. And so that's made, it, that's made it to where if you took a guy from 10 years ago and dropped him in the sport today, uh, he would be like, holy crap. Versus if you took a guy from now, this say top 20 in the game and dropped him in the sport 10 years ago, yep. he's going to be number one. Yep. Okay. Okay. Let's back up. Cause, cause we jumped, we jumped past a lot of the stuff. The, the, I, I'm, I'm surprised by the one and a half to two and a half MOA. I think that to me, that sounds too big, but yeah. I, I don't know. Well, that's, that's what we're saying. The, on an average match, I would say it's one and a half to two. You'll see targets as large average as two. Average target size, right? Are you yeah. saying You'll average target size? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I see an average target size of generally the range is one and a half to two and a half. Average is closer to one and a half to maybe two. And you'll see targets as large as two and a half, but they're rare. And they're like I've, I've ran the numbers hard. and the toughest matches out there, the, the toughest match of the year might average target size be one and a half i'm talking the toughest match of the year uh yeah ag cup was the exclusion to that the ag cup it might one one point three yeah that's pretty good i mean that's that to me that's that's a that's a good that's a tough match um <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun. what it no that's what it ought that's what it ought to be um yeah. and and that size you think that that the hit percentage of of 85 to 95 is still true yep Winner well, clean one hundred percent at uh, it was one hundred percent at the AG Cup. So, well, yeah. well I'm I'm talking about like ten percent and up, not not the kind of exception. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But that's yeah. but that's the guys that we're shooting, right? We're talking about the top ten percent of the game. Yeah, the top fifty. So if we take it to all PRS shooters, you've got oh, usually between seven hundred and a thousand registered shooters. So the top one hundred are in that sort of ten percent. Yeah, you've got to average 275 points to make it to the finale. To be in that top 100, those guys are averaging probably 85% or so of a course of fire on the on the very high side. But the winners okay. of those matches, the top 10, are into the 85 to 95% of the course of fire, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Morgan's done awesome. it over and over. I've done it. We're all generally in that 85, and we're fighting for one or two shots per place at a, at a, at a maximum, one to two shots per place. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen the scores and, and I've seen you guys continually staying up there and, and rising. So I, I think it's pretty cool. And that, that's why it's, it's awesome that you guys are both on to be able to talk about this. Cause that's very specific, like 1.1 to 1.25 MOA. So if somebody was going to develop 
a, a training plan and, and they were going to start to go out to matches, they could say like, man, if I can't do that, um, you, you could still get hits, but, but if your goal was to win and, and now there's some people that are like, you know, all I want to do is win whatever it is. If, if that person is like, dang it, I really yeah. want to win or, or like on Morgan's latest podcast, you know, that you guys talked about, like you have to feel, I forget how you phrased it. Like, like you deserve to win or whatever. Like, well, if you know, you, you have to make you sure have that, to. I right, think that's but you also the, have to be able to shoot basically one M away and not miss them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I would say, I guess what I was asking when I was talking about average target size is, is you're still going to get a lot of shots. Even if say the target is average at 1.8, you're still going to get a lot of shots at, at a one minute target. Usually not yep. at, well, depending on one the match. One and a quarter to one and a half. Yeah. 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 Point four. You know, you're going to measure some of the plates, and a lot of them are going to be around point four. Uh, do, do you're a lot still of those going to have. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Do, 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 do some of the small. Are, are there themes that when you're shooting at a point four target that you've gotten to shoot a larger one prior to that? Um, there are, but they're not always like that. I would say. Yeah. When I see 0.4 to 0.5, that's generally all we're going to get if it's at distance, like on a troop line. But when you see it depends on the match, the big small is a good one. Big smalls are generally like a 0.4 target followed by a 0.3 or like a 0.5, 0.6 followed by a 0.3 because the intent on those style stages is to not let newer shooters be left in the dust. So you get half the points on the stage or, you know, generally easier to hit, easier to hit. But if you make contact with a large target, you move to one that quote is pro level and you better make contact. So, gotcha. Now, but you, in my, by doing that, you also you also give an advantage to a guy that, that knows what he's doing because he's going to be able to see that yep. one, read it, and put it on there. So it makes the whole stage easier, period, right? Mm-hmm. Where if it was just the littler one, you know, the good guys still are going to be like 9 or 10, but you're going you're gonna to skew the percentage of people getting 10 more when you have the other one due to the fact that you just get the side and the cider shot, which I think that's what you, the point you're getting at. Yeah. Now, now I don't, I, I personally, I don't think it's fair to just say, well, you got to be able to shoot targets that are reasonably small because, because a lot of people can, you know, if you just say like, well, it's, you know, one and a quarter MOA, people think, well, my rifle could shoot that. And so what, what makes PRS to me stand out as being a high level skill set that that's kind of unique to PRS is that, you're you're shooting a pretty small target but you're doing it really quickly and you're moving right so so it's like you know like like an f-class person would say well you know those targets are big but but they're not moving fast and so so the stressor of moving and shooting a lot of rounds in a short period of time is actually where a lot of the difficulty comes from so 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 somebody hears this and thinks um Okay, well, I can shoot a one MOA target, but but can you do it under the conditions of stage design? So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, um, yeah, the good shooters, you know, are able to shoot that target size, which isn't amazingly impressive until you layer in like what's next. So what's next? Speed, yeah. So like the average, I would say an average shooter in PRS is capable of building a position and breaking two shots at any range in less than 15 seconds or a right about 15 seconds. Um, guys like Morgan, myself, Austin Bushman, Chad, Vibbert, Pinch, and all the dudes in the top, you know, 20, 
they can do that in 10 seconds at a minimum or faster. Um, yeah. Example, yeah. PRS skill cool. stage. Yeah. 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 It, it's the, it's the one constrained sort of, let's call it a pace setter for the sport where one, I think it's skill stage three, Morgan. Is that right? I should, I have one enough. I should know it. Skill stage two, two. Yeah, four positions, four positions on a 400 yard target. The target isn't that small. I mean, it's a 10 inch plate at 400 yards, a circle generally. And, but you have four positions, two shots each. That stage is, has a 90 second time limit. And there are a lot of average shooters who are in the 50 to 75 second range but the best shooters know that it's kind of the tie goes to the winner of that stage, which is clean with the fastest time. Um, the best shooters are well under 40 seconds. Like the fastest right now uh, is 2592, right, Morgan? <laughs> I think the scope is still back here. I don't know. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. Uh, That's funny. I've done, I've, we, me and Paul. Well, Paul built one, Paul Higley, and cemented it in right after that. And then we were – my first one when I was like, all right, I'm just going to see what I can do here. Uh was like, is 29.30 something? And I was like, yep. all right, all right. I can see how he did it. But then I'm – but then as I go – as I go and do it, I don't know – if I, if I want to go faster than that, but <laughs> I don't <laughs> like, I don't, I, I don't know. I've done it several times and I'm like, I think they recorded his, his seventh shot. No. So that freaking suppressor got it. I have it on video. That's what I'd say too. Yep. It's on video. And I actually asked the person to specifically did it. Well, it's a uh, scouting from shooting USA. So I actually got to see a low res copy then I went through and timed it in frame by frame from the first shot all the way to the last. And I was within two hundred. I mean, with using frame by That's frame, awesome. audio mixed, dude, it made it. And I'm like, okay, it's legit. I wonder the same thing. No, so. no, seriously. That's, I mean, that is a great time, but that shows you right there. Like, that's just like an elite level of target acquisition and economy yeah. emotion. That's, that's yeah. what that comes down to. And I guess when I talk, when we talk about standards, the thing that when he was talking about speed and efficiency and all that stuff, the standard I was thinking um, was being able to build a position in, if you want to be in the top 10% of this, you got to be able to build a position and have your finger on the trigger. That's with going through your entire process of leveling your gun, everything settling the wobble, ready to go finger touches the trigger at five seconds. Agreed. If you can do that, that um, I'm not, that's not saying letting the round go. Cause if, if you touch the trigger at five seconds and the round goes off within, you know, two tenths of a second, probably that's not good. It's not going to be real. consistent. <laughs> that's not conducive to consistency. Kind of yeah. like, that's what you have to do to be able to run it in 2560, the PRS skill stage too. Cause you, you just have to do that. Like it is what yeah. it is. And that's okay on that stage under those circumstances. But my point is be able to be standing and build that position five seconds. I think that's a pretty good, I mean, cause yeah, like he's saying, you know, average guys are going to be doing that in 10, 11 seconds. Whereas the elite guys are going to be doing that in five seconds, giving them all kinds of time to do other stuff. While like maintaining the safety of the speakers, because sometimes people hear speed and it's like, okay, but, you're, you're not only doing that efficiently, but you're also hitting a, a 1.2 MOA target. So you're, you're, you're moving fast under control with the skill level, 
that allows you to, to hit those small targets. And I, that that's really impressive, right? Cause, cause right. You could throw a rifle down and be like, all right, I got there in five seconds, but can you hit a 1.2 MOA target 85 to 95% of the times? And, and that's what you guys are doing, which is. Which yeah, is and, cool. and, and not just one target, right? Five targets at multiple distances um, or a, a scenario that puts you back and forth between a bunch of targets through multiple positions, yeah. all while dialing your dope or holding over while managing your wind, watching your impact and making corrections on the clock. So the standard that Morgan was talking about, the five second, that is, that is a legit, if you can't get into a prop from, you know, within two to three steps, let's call it three steps away into position, bolt closed, ready to hammer down in five seconds. Um, it's not saying you have to go that fast all the time, but that is the sort of the difference between a pro level shooter and an amateur is we, we have afford ourselves the time to have three, four five seconds when we need it on, on glass to make a better call. Whereas if it takes you 15 to get into that position and get ready to shoot, you have only four more seconds to fire off two rounds and you can't think after that. Like that's it. No, you you no, wasted all your, your time. resolution of what you see when you do that goes out the window. And so the, what and my my point is is I I'm I'm just talking about from and I and I don't know I wouldn't add steps or anything I'm saying standing behind the prop ready to go boom just drop your bag into it I think because because I I'm wanting to say like this is getting your level your cant out doing everything perfect and being able to get on that trigger ready to go uh, yes can I, can a guy do it faster probably but do you need to be doing it faster than that no I think that's, you don't. That is as fast as you need to do it and be able to do it consistently there. Can we go faster? Of course. But uh, do we, I mean, that's when you're pushing it and that's fine in practice. But when we're, when we're at a match, like I think that's as fast as that's, that's going to get you in the top 10%. And then from there, that's, I'm not saying send the round though. Like I'm just saying yeah. that to do that, that's what gives you the time to be able to operate in a 90 second stage operate comfortably um, and have time to consciously process the things that are going on, be able to process, Hey, this is, this is where the last round went. This is what I need to do about that. Run the bolt again, and then put it and then put another round on the target and make a perfect trigger pull. Cause that's, that's allowing you that affords you that time. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. That, and that'll and put then, you on like, pace that's another conversation, yeah, I just keep like, uh, yeah, the um, but but the standards are good. Like you know this, like how how you guys actually pull it off is you know other topics in your podcast yeah. and mine and, and stuff like that. But but just like what they are and that the fact that you're capable of performing at that level is um is really interesting. So a, a big contrast is the time between stages and the amount of preparation that you're allowed to do. And and I think this is what well, you know I was. I was really excited when the first AG cup came because, you know, it was blind, everybody, you know, you, uh, there was a lot of things that you, that you weren't doing that you get to do at standard matches, but a standard match, you've got 40 minutes between shooting. Is that approximate? Safe. Yeah. 30, maybe 40. So you have like 30, I, 40 I, minutes. I would say 30 minutes, between 30 minutes and an hour, somewhere in there. Yeah. So, you, so in terms of, of, you know, the performance standards are in a short period of time, but there's a lot of things that shooters do in the hour in between that, um, that are different, right? Cause those are the things that like in a field match you're doing on the clock. Cause you know, you're always on a clock. So, um, 
what are the kinds of things that that you rely on in that hour in between shooting that that allows you to perform precisely that that if that changed it would affect the results of a 90 second stage um you know there's not i don't think there's a a lot there are some things we do to hedge our bet and this is i think morgan would have probably the best vantage point between the two sports um I will say that in since I've focused primarily on PRS, the prep time that I use between, say, shooting a stage and shooting the next one is generally just the same thing that you would do post, say, an NRL match, other than, you know, I'm writing what I did, what I thought I had for targets, I'm loading my mags, I'm making sure my gear is repacked in the right order in my bag. But then we get the opportunity to potentially be on glass looking at conditions or watching other shooters. So I think the AG Cup removed the ability to watch other shooters live sending rounds on target we aren't afforded that opportunity and we all arguably perform to the same standard so i don't think that the the additional time on glass necessarily helps however locating the targets in advance and having a predefined there's target one target two target three um, that does allow us to perform you know in a 60 to 75 90 second time frame very efficiently at the 90 to 95 percent hit rate more frequently than it would if we were doing that blind. Like, hey, we don't know where the targets are. I think if you were to hybridize the two, it would be, you would have a lot lower hit rates and a lot more, let's call it stage failures. So so let me give you an example. There's, there's a match that I like to do and I've done it you know, a few times here and it's three days and, and the, the precision, you know, whatever you would, you know, the, how you would probably try to draw a parallel is, is you know, it's a three, three mile course and mm-hmm. they're shooting, they're shooting stages on that three mile course. And, and when you start, let's say you start in the parking lot, you, you know, you're on the clock. So you hustle up to your first stage and then you shoot it. And then you go to the next one, the next one, the next one, but you're, you're, you're scored by your hits and you get one shot per target and your overall time. So mm-hmm. you can be outperformed by somebody that gets fewer hits if they go faster but but generally people are trying to get hits and right now the standard is about you know 96% hit rate for the winners and they're going fast but everything it's completely blind and you know your you know your first stage is a few hundred yards from the parking lot so you have you have no visibility on anything so you have to do everything on the clock but you're going to be scored you know that the standards are high enough that it's going to come down to time so you can't lollygag and you can't be like, well, I'm going to sit and look for Mirage and Trace and, you know, because you got to find the targets, but you also got to yep. shoot them. And, and those targets are also about one and a half MOA, you know, one and a half to two MOA. Some of them are smaller. Some of them are two tenths wide. Um, but you get a gas gunner, right? You get a gas gunner to get you wind calls, but you're yeah, on the and clock. And unlimited rounds. On, for the gas well, gunner. Well, but, but the bolt gunner the gets gunner. one shot per, ta- per yes, target. For the, and the gas gunner gas gunner. everything. Yeah. yeah they, I mean, but you know, 90, 95%, 96% of the teams, the gas gunner hits their targets. They only have to shoot half of them. Like, I don't think any teams ever, the gas gunners don't hit all the targets. Like, yeah, you know, but then that, that, that information gets fed to the bolt gunner and then the bolt gunner gets one shot per target. And, and then, you know, generally like, you know, you only, you can only drop a shot or two over the course of a day to be competitive and it comes down to time. 
Right. So, so that, that's, yeah. that's the comparison that if, if you know, I, I mean, I wasn't planning on comparing it to field matches, but NRL Hunter is not like a field match. Like a field match is there's a lot more going on and it's not scored the same, but you're doing it all on the clock. The, the problem with NRL Hunter is you still have 45 minutes between stages. So in large part, you know, a PRS shooter is going to feel at home because they're doing the same thing. They just can't see their targets. So the only difference is you got to find your targets, Ranking but you have a win plan. Yeah. You have a win plan. You know, the DA, you can do all the pre-stage stuff. You just got to figure out where your targets are and shoot them on the clock. But in um, a field match, you can still prep for your days. You're going to have the right dope in, you know, or you're going to be using a pair of Swarovskis and hit lazing all the targets. So you have, you know, you, but you never see them in advance. Like, no, no, you oh, have no, no yeah, until yeah. you're on the clock. It's blind. Yeah. I'm just saying you're, you're still going to have the right data. You're, yeah. you're still going to have some sort of way to be able to get you a decent wing call as far as, far as, uh, like, like you, you can sure. obviously, uh, still extrapolate what, what you need for the wind, things like that. But yeah. at the same time, totally. I understand it. Like, there's a lot of. <laughs> I've talked about your this efficiency. With people, yeah, your efficiency needs to be across the board. Where, where, like, yes, where, where my interpretation of like high level PRS shooting, which, which I, I don't belong to that group. But my impression is like your efficiency there is economy of motion, speed, and and precision. But you don't have to be quite as efficient on like what what's my win plan going to be because you got time to figure that out and you got time to work out a game plan and contingencies. Whereas you, you got to make all that on the clock because, because you're penalized for taking your time in that decision-making process. Um, you know, you could shoot slow. Like I don't have to build a break in five seconds. I just have to finish the, the course, you know, faster, faster than the other teams. And so then you get, the, then it breaks down to, you know, we're all good shooters, but we made decisions faster you know, or, or we, we, you know, f- found the targets and made those decisions faster, but it, but it ends up being kind of a score on, yes, you're good marksman, but also efficient because people are hitting all the targets, you know? Yeah. It'd yeah. Be different if it how was many, like, you know, how many rounds, how many rounds per match or per day? Uh, for, um, The whole match, it's different because, 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 you know, you have the field course like that. And then you go to like more of a um, different style stage, which, you know, I, I don't know. You're shooting about 300 rounds uh, for the bulk gunner. You know, but you got to, you also shoot a little bit of pistol as stress shoot stuff. Like, you know, you got to shoot 30 plates before you can run to locate and range your, um, the, the, the other style of, of stage at this particular match. Um, you know, you shoot a bunch of pistol, you're on the clock, um, but you can't move on until you hit all the targets. So, so if you're good at pistol, you can get to the bolt gunning sooner. Yeah. And if it takes you forever to get through the pistol, then your overall time is going to be lower. But generally, you know, it, that's, it ends up the separator is time, not impacts because people are largely making good impacts at, at the high end. Right. So, so I'm, I'm trying to talk about the top 10% also which at these matches, you know, it's like the top five. So it's the people that are getting trophies because usually there's like 50 teams and the top five get trophies. And those top five, usually the amount of hits that they get is the same, but it's hits 
you know, the time that the best teams get are faster. And sometimes it's like, I don't know, we got second place last year and it was 26 seconds. We were short of first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So my impression is, is of, of like, and what makes people generally better at field matches is understanding their, their gear and their efficiency of, of processing things and being more dynamic with their gear. I've, I mean, just notice, I mean, I've only shot the NRL hunter stuff. I haven't shot the, that's why I want you to come to birth. I got to come to birth. You just got to skip the Hornady one, which like you've already been there, but you never done this one. If you beat me, I forget how much I offered you. You offered, I offered you cash. If I, if I beat you, didn't I say that? Like I would offer you like, I don't know what seems like a good amount of money for him to come and try to beat me at birth. I think 500, bucks? 500 to a thousand bucks is a, is a reasonable bet. Yeah. Cause, Scott, cause last time we talked, thinking. you said, you said, how come good field shooters don't ever come and win PRS? And I said, how come good PRS shooters don't come and win field matches? Like it beats the shit out of me. Like, <laughs> well, I know why more don't it doesn't, go. Either way, like they don't cross over. It's not, it's not that PRS shooters. They, I just they don't, don't come think, I don't know many PRS shooters that go. Yeah, totally. But I don't know many people that go to and I, know why. I know, I don't, I don't, I don't either. Tate yeah, hey, Streeter, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do bursts. He does the other CD matches. But Tate Streeter's a good shooter. He does yeah, good yeah. at both. Yes. But, um, yes. But I'd be curious what he says, like, in terms of where he would place um, Steel Safari and Team Safari. He doesn't run, so he, I don't think he would ever do bursts. Um, maybe, maybe he would. Uh, but uh, the the times that I've done Team Safari, you know, I beat him at the team one, and and then the individual one, you know, he fucking wipes the floor with me. So, uh, yeah. you know, I think the skill sets are the skill sets are a little bit different, and yeah, and, they, don't, um, they don't overlap as much as people they're, would. They're close enough, but he's the only one. He's the, really the only guy that that really does crossover shooting. Um, cause they're, they're just so different and you train differently and there's more money in PRS, I think. So, um, and, yeah, and I, I, think- I don't want to say one's better than the other cause, cause obviously that's ridiculous, but, but I'm, I'm fascinated by setting standards and, and trying to educate people on, Hey, you know what, if you heard that you want to go do PRS, like here's a good perspective of capability. So if you go out and shoot for MOA group, like you're probably going to miss a lot of targets. So get your group shooting better, get a, yeah. get efficiency better. I think you, people have fun when they hit targets and, and I think that knowing what to prepare for in advance, they'll have more fun if they prepare knowing what to expect and, and knowing what the highest tier are doing gives people goals um, that are more tangible, you know, and I, I can do that for field matches. Can't do that for, 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 I've, I've shot precision matches, but I'm just not, I'm not, um, you know, I don't, I don't have the track record. So I would say through. that as a good standard practice for someone who wants to get into PRS that hasn't shot matches yet, if you can take a tar- a one MOA target between four and 600 yards, five positions, two shots each, and you, or if you can practice on a one MOA circle from five positions at say a hundred yards and every single round is dead center in breaking inside of a one inch circle you are going to place relatively well 
at that match if you can do that in 90 seconds. And I say that meaning relatively well, staying in the top 50%, staying in the top even 25%, because the challenge at a match is not just the, it's not just the target sizes and the wind. It's also the stress of watching someone clean a stage or fail on a stage right before you, not letting that get to you. So, cause you don't overthink a stage. You don't get to see the props or touch the props. So it's very possible. And Morgan and I have both experienced this you think this prop is going to be very stable. So you get on it, it's not. And you're now you're fighting a one to two MOA wobble zone that you're trying to figure out how to stop the rifle for a half a second and make a clean shot on a one and a half MOA target that you're beating edge to edge with your reticle. Um, that's where we bring tripods for rear support, but it's become more common when we think that the, t- the prop is going to be unstable and that we can enhance its stability through rear support. But that's not always an option. Uh, there are times where either the, the position of the prop or the location of the target isn't conducive to using a tripod rear. So we have to get even more creative. But if you can break 10 shots into a one-inch circle at 100 yards from five different positions um, that are unique over different props, I think you have a very good chance at getting your precision. You've got it licked. Your fundamentals in marksmanship are probably good enough with your weapon system to participate at a pretty high level. Yeah. I yeah. practice on... That's crazy. My favorite practice is on a four inch plate at 400 yards. So same. I do a three, I do a three inch, but same thing. Whatever. You have more win. <laughs> I was going to say, you I was going to say, win. come shoot against me. Let's say it was practices better. I'm oh, in, man. I want to be the RO for that. Come out to Colorado and I'll set a course mm-hmm. fire. No, but no, the, th- the, the winner can buy us dinner. A three inch plate at 400 yards. It does. It's kind of a mute point. It's just, it's just a matter of, you just need a target that's small enough to where like that's going to be what you see at a match and you're probably yeah. not going to see anything smaller than that at the match in in the positions you're shooting Correct. from and that yeah. and that okay my gun shoots well within this i need to do my part and i'm going to hit the plate you and it has to be so something crazy. you're not 100% on too all the time if you're 100% on it then you need to shrink the size of it until pretty soon you know, you're maybe only getting, uh, till. So all of a sudden, if you're shooting that thing 95% of the time, you probably need to go put a three inch up or whatever, yep. which it's just hard to talk somebody like, cause I, it's not my place. It's hard to talk somebody into going smaller on the targets too. <laughs> Trust That's me. Freaking nuts. I just did like a, I hadn't shot my BR since the NRL finale, you know, like we shot that together, Morgan. Yes. Um, you know, so I was putting it together and I got a barrel from Chad. So I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll break it in and I'll do a positional assessment. So I, so I loaded up some ammo and I hadn't, I hadn't shot that style or positional stuff since then. So um, I put one inch circles out with little stadia for, for measuring data stuff and um, shot 40 rounds. And I, and one of them went outside that circle. Like, and that wasn't even under time. Like, I, yeah, there's, there's just no way I could do what you guys are talking about. Um, because it's so easy. And and here's, here's the thing that I would caution because you guys can do it obviously, but, but what, what scares me about, um, what, what, what blows my mind about what you guys are saying is that like, if I put a piece of paper up on it at a hundred yards with a circle or a dot or a craft target or whatever, um, it's easy for me to get on target, aim at the center and shoot. But Seeing what a three or four inch target looks like at 
400 yards is like a world of difference from a piece of paper with a one inch circle on it. Like it looks like the target. You're like, what that, wait a minute, that's the target, you know, like, um, yeah, it's a huge difference looking at a small target. And I, I could say that, um, because I got a 200 yard berm and I put a one, one and a half inch circles across the back and you know, that that's, those are theoretically bigger than the orange diamond of the craft target. And I look at the orange diamond on the craft target and I think that looks big and I pop up to the 200 yard inch and a half and it seems ridiculously small. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and transitioning to that efficiently in let's say five seconds seems like I, I'm fast at target acquisition. If the targets are like bigger, a little bit bigger transitioning to a target that fast is not a skill set that I have for targets that are that small. Cause they're freaking hard to see. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, did, when you guys started to shoot small plates at a distance in, that are isolated, do you remember going through that? Like, whoa, like, did you have any oh, second the thoughts? The shock of like, how small they are? Yeah, like, well, are, are you sure that's 400 yards? Did you ever do that? Like, that thing seems extra small. Uh, it's funny now. I mean, so what Morgan's talking about, it's funny because we haven't talked about our practice routines, but we both practice identically. So I use a, it's actually a three inch wide, four inch tall, like D, I'm going to call it a D shaped circle. So it's got a flat top, but a circle on the bottom. So it's technically four inches tall, but three inches wide. And the fact that we both shoot the same target size at the same distance, and I also have a three inch circle tells me that we're both seeing and using practice for both target acquisition and speed with precision at approximately the same level. So when you're saying like, when I first started, I thought that was incredibly difficult. And now I candidly don't like, I would actually go to, I would go to a half, but honestly, the, the two inch circle at 400 yards, um, you will miss some. I just don't get value. I'm trying to use other skill sets because I know we don't have to shoot one MOA plates yet. I'm using other skill sets on that three or four inch plate to see, can I see at 400 yards, the twisting of a very small target as fast as that occurs? Cause there's very little mass to that target. Can I see and react to the twitch of the plate and know which side I hit on and make a small mm-hmm. correction and make it dead square for the next shot. Those are the things that I practice on that kind of target as opposed to, you know, in the past, I think you're right. I I definitely thought, you know, four inch targets were small, but um, it didn't take very long for me to feel like finding them was not an issue, despite how small they were. I didn't struggle with target acquisition because I spent a lot of time on mental mapping and, you know, range layout and just really understanding how to quickly visualize as fast as humanly possible. Morgan does. I've watched him do it. There's a lot of, there's a little shock factor when you initially transition to shooting smaller targets. The only thing, the only thing I think about going too small with it is for one, uh, just based on statistics, the best rifles out there. um, I mean, you're talking are barely going to float within the two inch circle at 400 yards, right? Like, like I'm saying the rifle itself, if you shot a hundred rounds of that thing, will the rifle be able to hit that thing that many times if you had it in a vice? Yeah, it's it would, gonna, the best rifles out there are are the only like we're talking that they've got to be really good. I mean, 
Like some, yeah. some people you, you switch to a certain bullet and the the bullet is not capable of it. It has nothing to do with if the gun is good enough or not, you know, like, uh, yeah. this is getting into, uh, like F like, I don't, I know F class guys are probably listening. They probably say whatever that, Oh man, my gun can, can hold a, you know, a hundred rounds in a half minute circle. But, uh, I have a tough time believing that 100% because I've just shot enough guns now and I've shot it to where, yes, most guns or a lot of guns will do it. And that's kind of my standard is I want a half minute gun. And I'm talking like 30, if I shoot 30 rounds, all 30 rounds better be in a half minute hole. The only mm-hmm. thing is, is when, when that is your standard and that is your tolerance. And I think, and I've shot a lot of enough guns to know that that half minute to get a half minute hole with 30, 30 rounds going through it that right that standard alone is pretty stout and not very many guns can do it and now all of a sudden if you shoot a two inch plate that means you have no you have no uh it 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 will devalue the value of your practice because not alone not only can can you uh you can your rifle hold that now all of a sudden if you're trying to make corrections on a two inch plate that your gun your gun dispersion is the size of uh your corrections have no value Correct. Okay, so so let's reframe this. What of the top ten percent of shooters? What's the biggest standard of group size that you think that people are shooting? Like nobody's shooting an inch and a half gun. For right? every, if I'm going to say, put a gun to my head, can I win with this? If I have a gun that can put ten rounds into three quarter inch groups, That's that is the largest ten rounds on a three quarter inch group. That is enough for me to both be predictable downrange, make a small enough but fine enough correction to still keep it centered on a plate for the average targets, even at the AG Cup for the average sizes that we shoot. It's not going to help you. It's not doing you any favors from, say, 10 rounds in half inch, but it is definitely serviceable for a three-quarter inch, 10-shot group at 100 yards. Beyond that, you have your SD wind deflection and other air, like in, uh, environmental sure aerodynamic components that are going to come in that are going to increase your group. There's not much you could do about that. But if you can maintain 10 shots into three quarter MOA, you know, whenever you pull your rifle, wherever that lands on your point of impact, we don't care about POA versus POI. That's something you have to correct for all day long. But if you can put 10 rounds into a three quarter or three quarter of an MOA group, you'll be competitive. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree, but I think you can do it with an inch. I agree as well, but not you saying to win a match. I still think you can do it with an inch, but uh, you can't do it with anything over the, over that. I've come close, but because uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to, but there was a gun once that shot a little bit more than that, and I I almost won it. But anyways, and that barrel immediately come off. But top ten percent, like if you, if you were going to be top ten, top ten percent, yeah, one you can do it with an inch and a quarter. Right, hundred. I was gonna say one inch, no problem. Top ten percent. So if we're talking be top twenty in a two hundred person match, you could do it with a one inch gun, no problem. I'd venture to say yeah, that. I mean, it, that if you were to take of the top one hundred guys, if you were to take their guns and make them shoot uh, three consecutive ten shot groups, like let them let them have time to cool it, then shoot another ten. I would say the average is closer to three quarters than it is a half. I would agree with that size. And then that's not saying, oh, these guys suck or anything like that. That's just, that's, that has more to do with, uh, 
I think a lot of it is bullets. I think a lot of it. That's just my own opinion. I think if everybody was shooting burgers, it might be closer to that average. It might be a half, but who knows? I don't know. I shouldn't say that, but I did. <laughs> we all, well, the three of us shoot burgers. So. Um, that's the reason. That's why interesting. That's interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I speculate like I, you know, but that's why I want to just hear what your opinions are. Um, another thing I've heard in terms of people saying standards, like, Hey, my gun has to be this. And I hear like low development all the time. And they're trying to make their groups smaller and their SD smaller and their extreme spread smaller. Um, you can win a match with an SD of 15 guys have done it. I know a guy with the finale who pulled it off and it doesn't do you any favors at a 900, a thousand yard, 1200 yard target. It is not helping you. But when you look at the math of the odds of having a, let's call it an extreme ES round occur on one of the 10 targets out of 200 that happen to be at say 900 or a thousand yards. There's only, let's say maybe 10 or 20 shots in a total of match that are over 900 yards. What are the odds that in those 10 rounds, one of them is at the extreme extent and that target doesn't happen to be some variation of an IPSC. Generally, when we get to those distance, it is an IPSC. So you, it's a very small percentage of shots that will end up hurting you on target as a result of having, say, a 15 SD with a 45 ES. Now, it's not no, making it that easier. That math doesn't track. A 15 SD is six times that. So it's going to be about it's usually 75. Three. You'll get a much bigger one if you shot enough rounds. But generally, if you were to take a five-shot sample and you have a 15. Oh, yeah, five-shot for sure. But, five but to I'm, 10 shots, you'll be 15. Like a 10 to 15 will end up at 45 to 60. Yeah, I crunch the numbers actually, but I'm just telling you right now, population data. This is just like a a statistics thing. It's just I know totally. It's six times your SD. It's just a matter of only, but only you're only going to get one and a half percent on the high end, high end of that SD, and one and a half percent on the low end of that SD. So, what are the chances that you're going to be able to do that? It's really low. Sixty six percent of your shots will be within within an extreme spread of 30 feet per second. Now, yep. then you're going to have 97% of that will be within a 60 foot per second because of one, another SD on both sides of it will be within 60 feet per second, 30 either yep. way. Then it's the next, it's the next one. 95, 98. Yep. It's but, but when I, when I ran the numbers for me, like for, for like hunter matches, because, because my standards for hunter matches was, yeah, I'm a shoot factory ammo. It's like, how does, you know, <laughs> what lot do I pick? My, my lot was, you know, I, I can do craft drill. That's an inch and it has an SD under 15. Like, and then that was based on running it through like, you know, the, all the calculators and yeah. like, look, the way I shoot plus all this and the target height and the distances we're shooting at, I'm not going to miss above or below because of, you know, the ammo, um, you know, the only reason I think that I would miss above or below is because I, I ranged it wrong. If so, it's under an yeah. SD of 15. And, and I think you're right. Like when I think about long shots, like, man, when I think about targets that I've shot that are long, they typically are taller than they are wide. So um, it kind of accounts for that a little bit, but, but I, I like, I, I'm glad that you pointed that out because standards, people, they usually just, attach themselves to one of them, but, but you guys are performing, you have to maintain those standards across all of those elements. So at the very beginning, I said, look, you know, you guys are shooting one and a half MOA or whatever, but you're also moving fast, but you're also hitting them 
you know, more often than not, you know, 90% of the time. And, you know, most, most people are, except for Morgan are hand loading for PRS. Um, cause he got an ammo sponsor. Um, he, he's technically still hand loading. He's just not doing it. Pretty much. So I, yeah. I, I just want to jump back. Cause my point on the, the, uh, well, maybe I don't have it. I, I had it, but the point on the SD part, I guess that I was trying to make as far as that goes is I think that, that people place a too high of a value on that. I think, I think the under 15 yep. is good. I personally yep. uh, think the standard for myself is single digits yep. uh, at least. But the point is, is, is it's probably not going to affect you as much as you think. But yep. I mean, cause I, I mean, if you're, if you have an ES of eight, you know, it's going to be a whole lot better. Cause that's about a 50 foot per second extreme spread. Cause I personally, when mm-hmm. I run my numbers, it's 48. If it's an eight, it's 48. Uh, but the, when I run my numbers, I want to know what's going to happen over the course of 200 rounds. Cause that's essentially what, so when I, when I do things, I try to do things to where I can come up with numbers and extrapolate what's going to happen over the course of 200 rounds. So yep. that's why I shoot 30 rounds to verify a gun or instead of, I used to only do five or 10, be like, oh yeah, that shoots under a half inch. Well, I don't know that because I don't know what's going to happen over. I don't have a large enough sample size to be able to say, yes, this is a statistically relevant number. That's going to say, okay, over the course of 200 rounds, I can reasonably expect my gun to perform at an extreme spread of a half inch or 0.6. Have you guys seen that Andy scan that, that little uh, chronograph I've been using? Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Because you could just leave it on your rifle and just shoot. Like uh, the battery, the rechargeable battery, it lasts like I don't know twenty five minutes. So you're gonna have to recharge it at a match. But you could literally chronograph every round of a match. And if you put it on the other side of your rifle, it's not. Re- I maybe on like I don't think you're gonna hit it on anything. I'm gonna try to run it as much as I can this year to get all of the shots recorded to be like, okay, what what actually you know is it is happening with temperature and speed and speed up and dirty and all that shit, you know? So, so I'm, I'm, yeah. but, but man, that, that's, that's cool. Like when they get, job. when they start to get built in, like, um, but, but think about it, like, you know, technology, like new stuff's always coming out. Right. And when our, you know, I, there will be a time when our rifles are just giving us constant feedback on all of the ballistic data anyway. And, you know, people are kind of stuck in the magneto speed thing. It's like, yeah, they're cool, but they're not that cool when you think about like these anti scans and the um, bullet seekers and the, the ability of some of these devices to really give us real time feedback. Like the, um, I, I don't, what I've heard about like the, the MDT shot timer and the MDT electric trigger is that you're going to get a lot of feedback about your shooting in real time and and once that layers into the systems like that 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 seems like a really awesome push of technology to be able to track all that stuff Um, yeah Yeah, it's you know long-term tracking of statistics on muzzle velocity is going to be awesome um morgan said something that was actually really really valid but there's also kind of caveats on it that i would i wanted to add to what i was saying about sds so he shoots for singles i also shoot for singles People generally overestimate their, overuse their ES 
And ES only uses two data points, and it requires that your sample and data, your population is normally distributed in order for the assumption of, say, three or six times your SD to, to be valid. Um, you can have, like, say, a high ES that doesn't fall outside of some bound because it may not be a strict standard distribution. Um, if it is a strict standard distribution, then yeah, you know, it's the, you can start to see extreme points that will end up at 50 or 60 ES, but they're so unlikely to occur. Like think about if they're 98%, if those are the two rounds, it's you're talking about two rounds out of a hundred rounds that hit like say a plus or minus 25 of your, of your um, average. Those two rounds may be shot at a 10-inch plate at 400 yards on a skill stage. It doesn't even matter. So I'm not saying Morgan's wrong. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm in 100% agree with him. I think I would caution new shooters who get into this. Looking at an ES is almost practically useless compared to well, looking those numbers at numbers all the time. The yeah, reason exactly. why I'm yeah, saying that your population are, is not valid. Like The chances numbers. of you shooting around the, the top 1.5% and the bottom one and a half percent to be able to get an accurate extreme spread. That's why I'm saying generally when you shoot five to 10 rounds, yes, of course it, your standard deviation, if you times it by three is essentially what that extreme spread is. But if you were to shoot 200 rounds, if you were to shoot 200 rounds, yes, an SD is valid. Almost it's very, it's a phenomena. It's a, it's a, the SD is way more valid at 200 rounds. Factual theory, a mathematical fact theory that's proven across all kinds of populations where a standard deviation will predict very pretty accurately within a, depending on your margin of error will, uh, predict the, um, spread of data. And then because your standard deviation is, is normal distribution is relative of what's normal for that population. And standard deviation is what predicts that by saying, if you have a larger standard deviation, that means most of them are going to be here but you could have a you definitely you're going to have variances where you have a little bit more on the top side or a little more on the bottom side for whatever reason that you, but yep. it's very seldom average wise though when we average average multiple populations and multiple samples of a population you shoot enough rounds they will almost always follow this this pattern but but yep. i get what you're saying yeah i don't know i just yeah, wait too much for in math more, classes more shooters more shooters should be focusing on having an sd at approximately 10 or better. And it's not a requirement, but if you're under 15 and you have an SD at or under 15, you're able to compete in PRS. If it's under 10, you are not being held back by your ammo at the, even the most elite levels. Yes. How hard is it to load over 15? Like, you know, just using uh, the stuff that we have. It's not that hard. hard. You you skip a couple steps and boom, you're there. Yep. What steps? Like, uh, I think, I think if you have some brass that, that uh, I've seen this where if you have some brass that has neck tension, that's, that's uh, all kinds of different between, between round to round. And then the other thing is, is it's generally not as much the powder charge as people think it's more, it ha- I think most of the time it has more to do with neck tension. And like, if you haven't trimmed your brass and you got, you're cutting your bullets going in or whatever to where, to where that's inconsistent, Things like that make make more of a difference from what I've seen. Yeah, the most. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, if it, no. I mean, I've been doing like Francis knows because I'm always talking to him about load stuff because I'm like you know probably the worst loader in the universe. But but once a week I dedicate to study. Some, um, 
if we make some assumptions about the powder and you just say, let's load the same powder, there's actually a really cool test that AB did, I think, several years back where they tested multiple scales. Um, Nobody trusts AB. No, yeah, exactly. Um, there was a cool test that we ran and we've confirmed it a few times since, but if you took, we took an old, uh, what are those things called? The volumetric dispensers, the old school ones, like a Harrell's. Yeah. And they took a charge mat, like the original charge master, then a, and at the time, it, the only, the next best one was the FXI, the AD, AD120. And then they had a Prometheus. So they took all four of those scales and they each have a different precision level. The, the point was they ran the same charges or the same guns through each of those scales and had a series of a bunch of ammo made in each of those styles of powder dispensers. And it was very easy to identify limits. And I don't have the book in front of me, but if I recall off the top of my head, the volumetric loads generally they got with a cost multiple calibers ended up in like the 15, it was around a 15 or so SD average. Um, when you went to the charge master, which was a 0.1 grain scale, you ended up around a 10 to 12 SD average. When you went to the A and D, you got a seven to eight SD average and the Prometheus was six to seven or very, very close to that. In other words, it showed the law of diminishing returns when you go from something that is say volumetric and it's around plus or minus, let's just under two tenths. It was like 0.15 or 0.2 tenths um, plus or minus from a known value. The charge master was constantly hitting plus or minus 0.1 or a little bit better. The four A and D is technically a 0.02 resolution, but it hits plus or minus 0.02 to 0.04. And the Prometheus being a, a balance beam effectively that dispenses like an AFXI literally measures to a kernel, depending on how finely you read that readout. And they were insanely precise, but they weren't able to get much better for the calibers tested than about a six or seven at the time. I do know that most of my guns now are somewhere around the three to eight range. If I have multiple barrels, I'm saying the range of my 200 to 300 round SDs during break-in is between three and eight for the same ammo across multiple barrels. Um, I'll have them as low as a three for 10, 20, 30 shots and as high as an eight or a little bit higher, but the average falls somewhere in that five, six, seven, eight range almost every single time. Crazy. That's kind of why. Yeah, I just haven't seen like, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything fancy, but I have, you know, I have like the A and D thing and, and, um, I I've been loading with virgin brass, so I don't have to fuck around. Although this test that I did here was old Lapu brass that I had sized, but, um, yeah, literally have not seen an SD over 12 in anything, no matter how, like it might not shoot good, but whatever. But this test here, was, Oh dude, I have a funny story. A and D, right? You're using an A and D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that fits um, exactly with what we saw. I mean, the average on those were multiple cartridges was around an eight to a, like around an eight, if I recall. And that makes sense based on its precision. Um, it's it's the scale is if you're using good equipment, it's hard to be above a 10, but it's easy to do so if you're using like poor practices with respect to your brass setup. It easy, hey, here's the easiest way to have a problem, mixing lots of brass. If you have a bunch of lots that are at different sequences and firing, and maybe it's a brass that isn't controlled the same volumetrically from lot to lot, as well as another another type of brass, like or you have especially uh, lot pick, brass pickups from ranges. If I grab alpha off of the ground and it's not my piece and it's in somebody else's chamber, 
that piece from another lot may be different. Now, Alpha, one of the reasons I run them is Alpha and Lapua tend to have some of the smallest deviations from lot to lot of volume and capacity of anything that I've run. Um, I've tested some other stuff that hasn't done as well, but if you mix lot to lot changes in the same batch and you're shooting them in a match, you absolutely can expect to have slightly higher to much higher SDs than you normally otherwise would if you were to keep those lots separate. The only thing I, I heard there is that you'll take somebody's brass. Yeah, don't don't mix brass. No, he's lots. saying he he doesn't want. No, no, to. But, no, no. but if I so take somebody's brass, I have two loaded it. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> accidentally, of course, because I don't want to have other people's brass. I throw it away if I think it's not mine. So I got two comments. That's number one. Mixing lots is the only way to get non-normal distribution. Number two, yep. uh, on but then number two. What, what I remember what I was thinking earlier is I think I feel like that it's much more important to focus on on shooting enough volume to be able to see the capability of your rifle on paper versus seeing what its capability is with your chronograph. You need yep. to get enough totally data agree. to get a rough average and a, a pretty good average of what what your what velocity to expect. Um, and that is going to make a big difference on getting your right data. But then having a gun that shoots a half inch versus an inch is going to um, have a much larger impact than having an SD that is six versus thirteen or yep. fourteen. It's going to be have a hundred percent more impact. All right, since we're loading, I, I think it's pretty funny. Like I was on Facebook, and there's like this, um, you know, people get rid of old gear and stuff and some some guy i don't know from um kansas i wasn't looking for anything but i just happened to see you know when i i don't know you know, when how do you explain what you see on social media anyway i saw this press <laughs> um and i think it's called a k km press or something like that uh, arbor press k&m precision yep yeah so 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 he's like you know i'm selling it whatever you know i was like man i never heard of that what is it you know so i looked at it and i messaged him i was like hey I, you know what, what is that? You know? And, and, um, he was like fucking nicest guy ever. Like he doesn't know me. I don't know him. Um, and he makes a little video showing me how it works. Like with his phone, you know, and he's like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I'm like, well, you know, why are you, why are you changing it? And, and you know, what's wrong with it? Like, no, nothing's wrong, but he, you know, he's just changing, um, whatever. And, and I was like, you know, fuck it. It's not that expensive. Like I'm going to buy it just cause I'm so freaking curious how it works. He's like, man, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like you could literally load it with a hammer. Yes. Like, like the, you know, the, the, he's like, you know, it's got this tension thing, whatever, but that's not the point. The point is like, you could just smack it with a hammer. And so I was like, like, are you kidding me? So the, um, this, I, you, I don't know if you've seen it, Morgan, but this is the positional sh sh test I did yesterday. Um, those are one inch circles, you know, and those are all different positions. And, di and I tried ways that I don't normally try to stabilize the rifle. Like, you know, uh, one of these shots, I shot it like you with the rifle on my shoulder and pushing down with my face. And another one, I shot it like Francis, like put my hand in front of the bag and, and kind of trying to balance the rifle with the hand on the side of the bag instead of up on the scope. And, you know, I, I mean, these were I all, you know, whatever. Um, and, and I'm messaging Chad at the same time, like, how exactly are you holding it? Because it's not clear. So I wasn't holding it hard at all. Like you guys hold it firmer than I do or I did for this test. But, but needless to say, um, these were all rounds loaded with a hammer. 
I put it in that thing and I was like, whack. And then I put that on, whack, whack. So I literally loaded these with a freaking hammer because that is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, and I love it. And, and, um, are you talking about the Arbor die or just the press? Well, I just, I didn't even put it in the press. I was like, yeah, I yeah, yeah. okay. Like, that's yeah. what I just used the die and I smacked it with a hammer. And it was like, man, that, I you would know, not they, do that. Keith Baker told <laughs> me that awesome. he always packs a, he says it'll get you out of bind. And I kind of, I, I don't, I don't disagree with what he said, but he, he said he packs an Arbor die with him 